Welcome back to A Step Further. Um, I do want to apologize for not getting this out at a decent time. Um, I've been having some stomach issues the past couple days. And listen, if you've been around me, don't freak out. It's not, not nothing contagious, but it's um, just something that has flared up. It flares up from time to time. And uh, this past couple days, that's been the thing. So, yay. Um some of you have given some great advice, which I appreciate. Some of you have been praying for me, which I appreciate too. And how fitting that this message is about reclaiming what is rightfully mine. So we're going to talk about that today in reclaiming that inheritance, that thing that the devil has stolen from us. If you were here Sunday, we did Jack and the Beanstalk. And it was funny because we had all of these volunteers that came up that played the different parts. And if you think about it, I mean, I'm still thinking about it. So it's quite comical. But I would definitely recommend going back onto Facebook and watching it or getting on YouTube and watching it. Um, very good message. Anyway, not because of me either, but but the Holy Spirit, I really feel like was moving that day. And he just, I don't know, there were some really good things that came out of that message. Um, funny at the beginning, but also, also it was very powerful, I think. Um, so I definitely recommend going and watching that. But I want to kind of expound on that a little bit and dive a little bit deeper into reclaiming your inheritance because we can't just use Jack and the Beanstalk. But to give you a nice recap, so we use Jack and the Beanstalk. Jack you know the story. Jack goes and he's supposed to go to the market with a cow because mom says, you know, we're we're lacking in money. We don't, This is all we've got. And we need to trade the cow so that we can get some money so that we can try and, and continue on in life here. So Jack is on his way to the market with the cow and he runs into this stranger who says, no, you don't want to go to the market. You, you know, I have these beans. Let's trade me the cow. Take the cow. You take these beans. And after a little bit of back and forth, Jack finally relents, takes the beans, goes back home. Mom says, Hey, you're back already. And he says, Yeah, I was on the way to the market and this guy stopped me or girl, whoever. This person stopped me and they made a deal with me and they wanted me, they wanted the cow in exchange for these beans. But they're magic beans. And, of course, mom is going, oh, great. And she gets upset. She's beside herself. How this The cow was the only way that we were going to get any money. How are we going to do this now? So Jack goes to his room upset, throws the beans out the window before he goes to bed. And the by morning, he wakes up and he sees the beanstalk, right? And the beanstalk, super high, goes way above the clouds. And so Jack decides, hey, I'm going to climb this thing. He climbs it. He finds himself going to this castle. Now, in this castle, this castle's huge, but in this castle, he finds various things, one of them being a golden egg. Not just a golden egg, but he finds a hen who lays the golden egg. And not only does the hen lay a golden egg, but it lays a golden egg on command. And then he finds this golden harp that plays music. 
Now, there are different avenues to the story that you can, as because Jack decides he's going to take these things back down. Well, if I can take these things, then I'll be, we'll be set. Look, if I can have that hen that lays a golden egg on command, we'll have all the money we want. And the golden harp and everything is amazing. So what does he do? He decides to start taking those things. Now, depending on the story, the version of the story that you've heard, depends on the order that he takes them out. Uh, and in in some cases, um, the hen, the giant's asleep as Jack has taken these things. The giant's asleep that he runs into. There's a mean giant, by the way. I didn't say that part. There's a mean giant that lives there. And, uh, you know, every time Jack shows up, he's... He comes, he's come back from hunting or wherever he goes, fee fi fo fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he living or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. And of course, his wife is there, and his wife goes, No, there's, there's nobody here. You're just smelling things. It's just in your, it's all your imagination. So the giant eats his dinner that she's prepared for him and then goes and takes his nap. Well, each time Jack visits, this happens, and he's taking things back down. As he's doing so, um, you know, he's doing it while the giant's sleeping. Well, depending on which version you've heard, he either it's when he's taking the hen, the hen makes a noise and wakes the giant up, or it's the harp that is playing a lullaby for him to go to sleep. When the, when the harp stops, of course it wakes the giant up because the music's not playing anymore. So whichever version, he finally sees Jack and he chases after Jack. Well, Jack gets down the beanstalk and the giant's climbing down the beanstalk. Jack cuts the beanstalk. The giant falls to its death and they live happily ever after. Now, if you're telling that story, you're going, well, I don't know exactly what, a good moral to that story would be except steal from the the mean greedy giant and give to the poor who you know sort of robin hood type thing steal from the rich give to the poor uh the people who deserve it because they're nice and not mean which that's not really you know that's not our place and i mean if we we're going to really apply that in life that's not our place our place is not to judge somebody enough to steal from them and go, well, yeah, well, you're mean and you don't deserve this and I do deserve this. So that's it's not a good uh, that's not a good morale to live by. So we have to understand a little bit better the backstory of Jack and the Beanstalk, and and the the backstory is that there was this knight who lived in this castle and the knight was married. He had a little boy and it was this beautiful village that he was, he sort of overseen and the village lived in a very peaceful time. They were wealthy because the knight had this golden egg that, excuse me, this golden hen that laid these golden eggs on command. And, you know, so that he was able to supply for the village. They had all their needs met and everything was fine. Well, word got out of his wealth and the giant comes in, and he decides he's going to destroy the knight, and the, he wanted to take over the castle. Well, he was going to destroy the whole knight's family, but what happened was the the knight's wife and the little boy were taken by the fairy godmother, whoever, and taken to a faraway land where they would be kept in safety until a time when the when the boy could come back and take his rightful place, 
in his father's castle. Well, that boy was Jack, and then the wife was his mother, of course. And so what happens on the way to the market, the fairy godmother or whoever is is dressed up as this stranger and gives Jack these magic beans instead of money. And so Jack climbs up to the castle, and he has seen the castle that is rightfully his. Now, he doesn't know it. So in essence, Jack is still stealing and taking, but he really, in reality, is taking what's rightfully his because the giant had taken all of that from him. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to take what the devil has stolen from us? Now, you might be sitting there going, well, I don't even know what the devil's taken from us. I don't even know what the devil's taken from me. Well, maybe he's taken your joy. Maybe he's taken your peace. Maybe you've been um, dealing with anxiety and depression. Maybe he's taken relationships. Maybe he has taken uh, jobs. Maybe he has taken control of your finances and you can't seem to get out of debt or you can't seem to, um, you know, climb out of that negative, getting getting out of the hole with your finances. You know, all of those things. And you go, well, how am I going to get that stuff back? And it's only through the Lord, right? The Lord fights your battles. And there are a couple ways that we need to approach this in order for for God to do a, a mighty work. But I can't just use Jack and a Beanstalk to, to give you that that message. So I do need to dive into the Bible. And so I do want to take you to 1 Samuel 15, but I also want to give you this whole backstory because if we don't understand the backstory, we don't understand what is happening even in the little things that God is is doing. And that they seem like individual stories, but they're all part of this big huge backstory. Now this part I didn't get to on Sunday. And and that was because I had hoped to get to this and when I did my podcast in, in this podcast. So it's going to take a little time. So I do ask that you bear with me. But we for, for all of this to be understood, we kind of have to go back to the days of Noah and the days following the flood. So we did our Days of Noah series, right? And we talked about um, what was going on in the world at that time and why God chose to destroy the world, why God chose a flood, and why God chose Noah and his family. Well, excuse me, let me take a drink. Coffee. Anyway, you know me, got to have my coffee. So, at the time of the flood, Noah, Noah and his family get in the ark, and this is Genesis 6. And so the flood happens, and then... It's God is saying, I'm going to establish my covenant covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So they do this, um, get in the ark, it rains, and it pours, and all the great stuff. Um, and then in, it says in chapter 8, the flood subsides, and Noah, a seed. Afterwards, so they, they, God tells them, it's, you're safe, you can get out of the ark. So he says, go out of your ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing all of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. That's an interesting covenant. Um, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. This is Genesis 8, verse 21. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never curse the ground again on account of man, for the intent of man's Heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. That is something to take to heart. Um, and, and I feel like the Lord's giving me some revelation even right now as we're talking. So, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Interesting. Um, I have to pray about that one. But anyway, then there's the covenant of the rainbow. Um, and then he goes on, and I want to dive into... Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank the wine and became drunk and covered, uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him, so he said, Cursed be Canaan. Now catch this. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. Now, the reason I want to say that is because then a little bit later, they drew lots to see what land that they would take. The land that was designated to Shem. Okay, catch this. The land that was designated to Shem was land that Canaan stole. He rigged it. And Canaan stole the land. Okay? So then it became Canaan. And that region, by the way, is the region of of Israel. You probably guessed it. Um, and so that became the land of Canaan. And But Canaan took what was unrightfully his. So it wasn't his to take. It was not his inheritance. That land belonged to Shem. And then, so Canaan took it, and then right next door to the west, Ham took that land, which, as we know, became Egypt. We know it as Egypt. So those are the descendants of Ham. And then uh, the land of Canaan became the descendants of Canaan. And so what was supposed to be Shem's was given to Canaan instead, unrightfully, by the way. So what happens, God says, down the road, God says to Abraham, get up out of your land over here in Babylon, and I am going to take you 
from Babylon over into this land here, the land of Canaan, and I'm going to give that land to you. Why am I going to give that land to you, Abraham? Because Abraham is from the descendant, he is a descendant of Shem. He's from the line of Shem. So God is going to restore what was rightfully supposed to be Shem's. He's going to rightfully restore this inheritance here, okay? So they go in, you know the story, they go into the promised land, God goes ahead of them and he fights these battles, like the battle of Jericho. And so God takes, God sort of takes control and he begins to to help the Israelites who are all from the descendant, they're all descendants of Shem, that line of Noah. And so he begins to fight their battles for them. He begins to help them take over the land and all of this, these things. Well, then they decide down the road that they want a king. God was against it the whole time, but in, he relented and gave them what they wanted. So he gave them King Saul. Now, King Saul was a um, Benjaminite, so he was from the tribe of Benjamin in the in one of the twelve tribes of of Israel. And Saul was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. And I'm going to go into First Samuel 15. And so Samuel's talking to Saul, and he says, "This the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over His people, over Israel." Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Catch that. Go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him. But put him put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All these things God tells him, put them to death. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talaim, two hundred thousand foot soldiers and ten thousand men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. But Saul said to the Canaanites. To the, to the Kenites, go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the um, Amalekites. Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured uh, Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but Saul and the people here's here it is. But Saul and the people spared Agog and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. This is how God wanted it. He wanted them to destroy it utterly, but Saul wouldn't do it. Um, but everything despised and worthless. That's what they utterly destroyed. Well, Saul gets in trouble. You know, now it's time for God to to pass judgment on Saul and his anointing immediately he Saul disobeys the Lord. Well God develops this sort of like why did I anoint Saul king of, over Israel? And but God knew what he was doing because he wanted David, who was next in line, to really be king. David was a man after God's own heart. We we see that. Not that David was perfect, but David 
really wanted to follow the Lord. David really surrendered himself to the Lord. He really submitted to the Lord. And so David was the one that was really meant to be king. So what happens? Um, now we're going to have to jump over to 1 Samuel 30. By this time, David has been anointed king, but he hasn't been appointed king. So there's a difference. David's been anointed by the prophet, uh, but he has not been appointed king. So he's there's this process of from being anointed to appointed, and in in that process, I mean, David has done great and powerful things, and God's using David in a mighty way. Well, Saul finds out about a lot of the things that David's done, and Saul gets super jealous, and because he knows that Saul knows that he's lost his anointing, he disobeyed God, and he has lost his anointing, and so now. All these things are happening to Saul. All these things, good things are happening to David. Yet David or Saul comes after David, and and David is threatened. His life is threatened. So David runs. Well, David ends up over in the Philistine territory, and many of the people are like, "We cannot have this guy. He is from the land of Judah, the the um, the Israel. He's an Israelite, and he can't come over here." We can't have him. So they tell David, listen, we we love you, but we can't have you here. We need you to go back to your people, serve your God, and, and do your thing. So there's that, and you can read about that in 1 Samuel 29. But so this is kind of the entry point. David is headed back to Ziklag. David, and David had some men with him, by the way. This says, then it happened that David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, and the Amalekites, here we go with the Amalekites, the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and Ziklag, and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. Dang it, you know? Saul was supposed to take care of the Amalekites. Why? Why was why was Saul supposed to take care of this group of people? Because they would come in and try to take the inheritance. And not just for this one moment in time, you guys. So as you're as you're listening to this, understand this. It goes all the way back to Noah. And it goes all the way back to this story of the devil does not want God's people to have their rightful inheritance because when they step into their inheritance, when they step into their positions, when they step into their marriages, when they step into their, you know, those relationships, when they step into those promises that God has for them, they become powerful. They become a force to be reckoned with. And the, and the devil doesn't want that. The devil doesn't want God to win. The devil doesn't want you to win as God's people. So what does he do? He tries to keep you from your inheritance. He tries to keep you from your promises. He tries to keep you from your joy. He tries to keep you from your peace. Even Adam, all the way back to the garden, did God really say that you couldn't eat from that fruit and that you would die? Let me destroy the promise of eternal life. Because you have this tree of life over here. Oh, and by the way, what the devil wasn't telling them is that they could ask God anything they wanted, and, and I'm sure that God would tell them. They walked together in the garden. Adam walked with God in the garden. Well, so how, why wouldn't God tell them? You know, they were living in perfect. You want to know the knowledge of good and evil? Why wouldn't God tell them 
some things, but they would only experience it from the side of good because they wouldn't know what evil was because evil hadn't come. Evil hadn't entered in through that disobedience yet. So they wouldn't know evil. So they would only see it through the eyes of good. Well, that's how I would want to see it, right? I got this tree of life. I can live an eternal life. And and along comes this guy who says, did God really say that? I mean, that you're really going to die if you eat from that that tree of knowledge. You're not going to die. It's just that God doesn't want you to know what he knows because then you're going to be like him. Well, now all of a sudden he has destroyed the trust between man and God. And so that's what he's trying to do even today is he tries to destroy that trust between man and God. He steals your peace. He steals your joy. He steals all of those things that that you know help you to walk confidently in faith. He, he tries to take those things so that walking in faith becomes super hard. And walking in faith means now I have to put forth this effort that I don't know that I can do it. I can't do it on my own, that's for sure. So who's going to help me fight my battle? And so what God is calling us to do is God is calling us to reclaim that. God is calling us to reclaim our inheritance. And he's calling us to go out. And he's calling us to not disobey him. Here's where Saul went wrong. And this is where we need to go right with it. Saul did not have an appropriate fear of the Lord. So when when Saul was told to do this, Saul should have obeyed God, but but he didn't. Why didn't he obey God? Because he didn't have a fear of the Lord. And I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm not talking about, and you go, well, isn't that what fear is, is being afraid? In the Bible, what we translate as fear of the Lord is actually awe, being in awe of the Lord. So this is where Adam and Eve sort of went wrong too. It's because the devil destroyed the trust between man and God, so therefore the devil, the devil, in essence, destroyed that fear of the Lord. It's that if I disobey God, what's going to happen? Well, who cares if I live or if I die? But if I am away from the presence of the Lord, the awesome presence, and and I mean awesome, not like oh yeah, that's awesome. I'm talking awesome, something filled with awe. If, if I am away from the awe presence of the Lord, then I have nothing. And Saul, if, had I not disobeyed God, I would be in the presence of the Lord, you know. And here we are. Um, we have the presence of the Lord, and the devil wants to take that away from us. So what do we do with that? We need to have a healthy fear of the Lord, and that we need to we need to fear losing that presence of God. Now, does God completely abandon us when we disobey Him? No, of course not. But but I'm telling you that that guilt and that shame when you sin, when you disobey the Lord, that guilt and that shame is there, and and you you feel it. And you, that's something that we don't want. We don't want to be away from the presence of the Lord, so that healthy fear of the Lord. But we also have to approach that with humility. If we're not approaching this with humility, then we're in trouble. Because we can't get to the Lord on our own. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except for me. So what I want to say also is, and, and we had this um, study yesterday at, at the Senior Center, 
and we talked about it there. And and I always have some really good time of revelation at at that those Bible studies. So if you're 16 over, by the way, I'm gonna make a big shameless plug for you to to come. And and if you're not 16 over, uh, and you really want to come, maybe we can. You know, I know the director out there, so maybe we can talk to him and see what happens there. Um, but I would encourage you to come. I think it's a great time. It's a great study. And we I, I don't know about the people that are there, but I always get a little bit of a, of a revelation, even in those moments. And I'm the one that's supposed to be leading it. Uh, but I have this help from this from this other lady there. And as she facilitates the study that we've been doing, um, there's those definite revelations that take place and happen. And I enjoy that. Like, I really love that. And so yesterday we started talking about some things and, and the idea, um, that came to me was that here is is God, and, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except for me. But yet, I, I feel like God is going, Jesus is not just your pathway to me, but Jesus is my pathway to you, people. Jesus is my pathway to you. So when when Jesus came to this earth, what happened? That was God coming to us. Like, when you think about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, you think, well, the Father's way out there somewhere in left field, and I got to make my way to Him. Yes, through Jesus. But no, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and you and I can be one as the Father and I are one. And so that to be in the presence of God is not hard, but we need to be, we need to have that fear of the Lord number one, and we need to come in humility because we can't get there ourselves. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, apart from me you can do nothing. And he also said that the Bible says that they who humble themselves will be exalted. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. For those who humble themselves uh, will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Um, I want to come in in that humility. And we're not talking about necessarily about that humility, like, oh, I'm humiliated, but that humility of going, I just, I, there's nothing that I can do on my own. I am, I, I on my own am nothing, but yet because of the Lord, I am, I am everything. And, and again, that sounds very like bold and proud and I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not because I'm nothing on my own, but because of the Lord, I can be everything. Because of the Lord, I have an inheritance. Because of the Lord, I have a promise, and it's time for me to regain that promise. It's time for me to step up and get into that promise. That's what we're called to do. Step up into the promises of God. Well, how am I going to do that? I'm going to surrender to the Lord. I'm going to submit to Him, and I'm going to, to follow His way, and I'm going to do things the way that He wants. I'm going to do my very best to allow the Lord to do the work that He wants to do through me, because it's not my battle, it's the Lord's battle. And I myself cannot fight the devil, but the Lord can fight the devil through me. And once I step into my promises, look out. Once, you know, if, if it's uh, finances, 
Once I step into my financial promises, look out. Once I step into my marital promise, look out. Once I step into my my um, assignment, whether it's ministry or, or what, it doesn't have to be being a pastor of a church. Uh, it can be anything. Once I'm stepping into the role that God has for me, the role that God has promised me, look out. I mean, too many of us are hanging out here in the wilderness and we're missing the promises of God, and we're missing the promises of God because we're not fully surrendered to the Lord. And we're not fully surrendered to the Lord because we don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. And we don't have a healthy fear of the Lord because we're not humbled. And so it's this chain of events. But here we are, we're hanging out in the wilderness, and we're going, God, what about me? Well, how are you surrendering to the Lord? That's what we're called to do. It's, I mean, I, th- I feel like every message kind of ends up surrender to the Lord. It's almost redundant in a way, but yet that's what we're called to do because I don't know about you, but there, that spiritual world out there is a world that I cannot fathom. I cannot understand it. There are things that happen that I cannot see. I can't touch. They're not tangible to me except that I experience how they manifest in my life. It's a spiritual world that I cannot comprehend, and because I can't comprehend it, I can't fight the battles. The Bible says that we're not fighting flesh and blood, we're fighting spiritual entities. We're fighting uh, you know, the principalities in the spirit world. I can't see the spirit world, so how am I going to fight that battle? I can only fight that battle through the Lord. So as we're out there, we're going, Lord, what about me? You know, it's just like the, the Moses told the people, be still, sit still, be still. God's going to fight your battles. And, and the Lord goes, no, Moses, yes, I will fight your battles, but you have to move. You have to move. Well, how am I going to cross the sea, Lord? Stick out your staff, Moses, and I'm going to show you my power. But you got to be willing to move. you got to be willing to, to be mobile, to let the Lord do the work through you. So how are you being mobile? How are you allowing the Lord to do the work through you? How are you coming to the Lord, and how are you fearing the Lord? Do you do you fear the Lord? You know, I pray that you would experience the presence of the Lord and never, ever want to leave that presence. I pray that you would experience that. But I pray that when you do, that it humbles you in a very powerful way, um, in a very, very godly way, a way that's not you know, you know, like, oh, I've exalted myself, and now the Lord has to humble me. That's a that's a painful thing, but rather your heart is humbled before the Lord, and that He will lift you up in that, and that you will experience something so awesome. I pray for that for you. I pray that God would speak to you in visions. I pray that God would speak to you in dreams. I pray that God would speak to you on the daily in different things, and you're going, God, I don't know why, but this this vision keeps coming to me. I don't know why, but this song keeps coming to me. I don't know why, but I keep seeing this number. I don't know why, but what is happening? Well, God might be trying to speak to you. And as you begin to seek the presence of the Lord, as you begin to seek, um, if you begin to seek being in the presence of the Lord, that God would begin to reveal things to you. And he will. He promises that. Jeremiah 33 Verse 3, he says, call out to me and I will answer you. I will show you great things uh, that you don't even know about, secret things that you don't even know about. So it's it's possible and it's plausible uh, 
we have to surrender to the Lord. We have to be willing to fear the Lord. We have to be willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and come before Him. And I, I know that when we do that, we will begin to, as we walk in, in our assignment, as we walk in those, that God will God will bring about the promises that He's He's given. He did it for the Israelites, right? Uh, Canaan took over the land. Well, down the road, he he talked to a Shemite, somebody who feared the Lord. Abraham feared the Lord, and he was humble before the Lord. Um, and so God called him friend, and he said, I'm going to take you into the land, and you, through you uh, and your descendants, you guys will inherit this land, and it's to be yours. You, Abraham, a Shemite. <laughs> You who belong to the descendant, or yeah, to the lineage of Shem. I'm going to restore what was taken. I'm going to restore that inheritance. By the way, David, when the Amalekites came in and they took the women and they took the children and they took everything, uh, David, the Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Uh, they were all they were all depressed and embittered, and they were so they were weeping and sad and 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 wailing and all that. And then it says, "But David in verse six, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God." David went and he said, "Please bring me the ephod." So uh, Abiathar the priest brings out the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, "Shall I pursue this band and shall I overtake them?" Now again, he went to the Lord. He wanted to be in the presence of the Lord, he, and he humbled himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, "Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all, not some, but all." So what happened? He went. He pursued them. And it says that that he came back and he brought, verse 19, nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves, David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep, all the cattle, which the people drove ahead of the other livestock, and they said, this is David's spoil. So um, David came back and, of course, divided up the spoil and, and you know, um, re- restored everything back to what was taken from them. He restored it back to them. And he did so through the Lord. Remember, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, go. The battle is won. And because of that, David brought back. And so I encourage you, strengthen yourself in the Lord. This is my final word. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And I encourage you, if the Lord says, go, go. Jump in, dive in, take the risk, whatever it takes, dive in. The battle is won. Go. Your time is now. Your time is now. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Inquire of him. And if he says go, you go. Reclaim that victory. Reclaim that inheritance that God has for you. Listen, if this message has blessed you, I would love to see you on a Sunday morning uh, we have services at 9.30. If you can't make it, then um, we have Facebook Live. And then if you can't make it on Sunday at all, if you got something going on or whatever, um, I would encourage you to go back on. You can go back on Facebook and see what was what was live. Or you can go onto YouTube. We upload our videos to YouTube. And you can watch the service that way. Um, either way, I would love to hear from you. We would love you know, for you to 
stay in touch or or whatever. But whatever it is, I just would love to see you. I'd love to hear from you. And again, I hope this message has blessed you. And I hope that you have a very powerful, godly, God-filled, how about that? God-filled week. And I pray that you experience the presence of the Lord. So until next time.